Welcome back to the Darren Batchelder Multifamily Real Estate Investing Show. Today we have a special guest, Andrew Campbell, a native of Austin, Texas, and the managing partner at Wildhorn Capital. Andrew started his real estate journey in 2008 as a passive investor, transitioning into active investing just two years later. He managed his personal portfolio that grew to 76 units across Austin and San Antonio before founding Wildhorn Capital and scaling to over 4,000 units. You don't want to miss his insights on the shifting landscape of housing and the opportunities that lie ahead in multifamily. But before we get started, if you are a high net worth individual looking to preserve your capital and build your wealth responsibly by investing in multifamily real estate, visit darrenbatchelder.com forward slash investor call and schedule your discovery call. This episode is sponsored by Cashflow Portal, real estate syndication software that accelerates capital raising. I'm both an LP and a GP in many multifamily deals. I've used many different software applications for the capital raising process, and I like Cashflow Portal the most. I'm so confident in the software and the Cashflow Portal team that I've become an investor in the company. If you are a syndicator looking for a software platform, then let the Cashflow Portal team know that you heard about them on Darren's podcast and you will automatically receive three months off an annual contract. You can find the company at cashflowportal.com. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Today, we have Andrew Campbell. Andrew, appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Looking forward to, uh, to chatting. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how we know each other. This is the first time that we're actually talking, um, but I, I know of Andrew's company, Wildhorn Capital, um, you know, through social media, through other people in the industry. So I am interested to hear what he has going on. He's in the Austin market and Austin has been blowing up the last several years. So interested to hear about that. And um, from, from that, can you just share with the listeners how many properties, how many units you're invested in? Uh, yeah, so Wildhorn, uh, you mentioned we're in Austin. I was born and raised here. Our company's focused on Central Texas, uh, which we would define as kind of Austin, San Antonio area. And between the two uh, cities, we've got about 15 assets. It's just over 4,100 units. Um, and we've got a couple in the pipeline uh, being developed. So we're a little over 4,000 and growing. That's, that's awesome. So I've heard, I don't know if this is, you would say that this is true, but that Austin, San Antonio will end up kind of being one big market. What do you, what's your take on that? Uh, agree. I definitely think it's, it's trending that way. And I mean, you're, you being in Dallas, they call it, you know, the Metroplex. I think this is sort of Dallas the, the, next, Worth, right. the next Metroplex, if you will. Uh, they're, naturally growing together. And, and every time you drive to San Antonio, there's, you know, one less piece of, of green space, uh, just kind of one big contiguous 
market. Uh, it's interesting uh, on that front. I mean, the the Austin border realtors, San Antonio uh, border realtors talked about doing a merger a couple of years ago. I didn't. It didn't quite happen. But the uh, Austin and you know a large part of what's driven Austin's growth over the last twenty years has been uh, a, a civically funded group called uh, Opportunity Austin and the the Chamber of Commerce working together to attract you know put the message out about Austin, attract jobs, attract employers. San Antonio recently launched their own uh, fund, you know, kind of in, in connection with the, the Chamber of Commerce there. And they're actually now coordinating and, and working together uh, in an effort to kind of truly combine forces and, and pitch the, the, the greater, you know, the region in general. And there's no, look like Dallas, Fort Worth, right? The, the arbitrary line, is it is it Arlington? Like, where does it become Dallas versus Fort Worth? And all the, you know, the mid cities are their right. own unique thing, but it's, a big economic win is a win for both you know, cities, particularly look at something like Tesla, you know, that, that was technically an Austin headline. Uh, it's, it's east of Austin, kind of south and east of Austin. A lot of the suppliers that are coming in are filling in south you know, along the, the toll road and kind of down towards San Marcos and, and New Braunfels and at some point North San Antonio. So like it's a benefit to the region as a whole uh, when you get these big, wins on the economic development front. And so I, I think that will further fuel their continued growth together and really being kind of thought of and treated as a, as a market. It, it, another little side note. So the, the Spurs, San Antonio Spurs, the NBA team, the last couple of years, yeah. they're playing two home games in Austin. Um, there was some controversy and San Antonio right? wants to make sure that they're, they've assured them, Hey, they're, we're not leaving San Antonio, but Having a few home games up here, you know, it's capitalizing on the the region at large. So I, I think it'll wind up being a, a Dallas Fort Worth type metroplex. That's that's interesting, and you know, they Austin and San Antonio definitely have a different vibe to them. You know, in sure. terms of um, whatever the coolness factor or whatever. But if you think back to Dallas and Fort Worth, it was the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, two different kind of vibes. And it all merged together. So, um, yeah, if, if you're in that in-between uh, area, that's probably a good place to be um, yeah. in the path of progress. Yeah. So, hey, before we, we got started, you know, we were talking about some of the things that you're doing and I'm doing. And, um, you know, you mentioned a build-to-rent development deal. Can mm-hmm. you kind of talk through, through that? I mean, build-to-rent has become a lot more um, talked about and is a, is a bigger factor in in real estate lately. And so um, can you, some people are familiar with it and some people are not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think there's definitely a lot of buzz around, I, I call it the acronyms, you know, BTR, B2R, you know, build to rent, uh, SFR, single family for rent. And I think for, for, a, I don't know this new product type. Uh, you, historically, you look at you know a townhome type deal where you've got you know no one living above you. Typically, have an attached garage. We own actually a, a, a deal that was built in two thousand two in San Antonio. That's a townhome deal. Uh, just always consistently crushed it. Stays full. Retention rate is high. It's bigger square footage. I mean, you you are. It, it's a different product than a. The apartments being built today are what 800 foot, 850 foot average unit size, 
two thirds of them are one bedroom units. Um, as you look at a couple of factors, I think the, the, the demographics, you know, of the, the millennial is a huge generation that is sort of aging out of apartments, wanting more space, start to have kids just have been in an apartment for, for 10 years, um, time to go to the next phase of life. A fifteen hundred square foot, you know, home uh, really is is an appealing product type. I think on the other end of the sort of demographic curve, you've got sort of the empty nesters. Uh, you know, baby boomers want more like latch and leave. Maybe it's a second home, or I just don't want the upkeep, responsibilities, maintenance of a home. So, demographically, it seems like it's a great product type to to meet both of those needs. But factoring in kind and of both of those support. demographics are big. Population demographics. Yeah, the the two biggest uh, generations like in history. Um, So I I think that's driving a lot of this energy uh, in the space and a lot, you know, the the branding of, hey, it's B2R is a a new thing. And not maybe a totally new product, but the branding around it's a little bit different. Um, Then, you know, economically, you've got just people can't afford homes. Uh, or, or don't want to own a home, and certainly with higher interest rate environment, owning a home is a lot harder uh, than it was. And so, again, it, it's an alternative to living in an apartment. Um, you get a lot of some, some of the same amenities that you'd get in an apartment, but in a fifteen hundred square foot floor plate with a garage. And um, so, that's I think the, the the industry right and the space and why you're seeing that be talked about so much. I mean, Dallas has had a, a ton of BTR communities built in the last couple of years. It's it's funny because I look. I'm 53, and my wife and I, the first home we we owned was a townhome, and it was probably around that 1500, 1550 square foot. We were yeah. in South Florida at the time, um, and and we purchased it. There it wasn't real. There wasn't really a ton. I mean, there were rentals back then, but. Um, and then now, you know, our kids are, one's graduated from college and one's in college. And we're like debating like what, all right, downsizing and moving into something smaller and a little more, less upkeep and being able to travel around. And um, so it fits the bill for, you know, both the starter home and also, you know, the, like, just exactly like you said, somebody's lo- looking to downsize the empty nester. Yeah. So how does that work um, from an investor standpoint? You know, I, I'm in more value add deals than I am in new development deals. I am in some new development deals, but you know, my understanding with new development, you know, you you could have an investor that you know just buys the land. Then you could have another investor base that you know goes ground up and you know and gets it stabilized, and then a third investor base that actually you know, operates it, manages it, or do you just have one investor base do all three? Yeah. So, so we are, are kind of one investor base doing all three. Well, not the first piece. Um, so, you know, I'd start and say, Hey, we Wildhorn, we are an operator, right? So we own and operate 4,100 units. Uh, we're not a, a developer. We're not building deals to sell them as they get leased up and you know, move on to the next one. Uh, we, my partner Cooper and I, both born and raised in Austin, I think are are long on Central Texas and kind of the the long term growth and our ability to continue to attract jobs and and people, which kind of the two things that drive the the, the housing business, you know, residential, multifamily housing, whatever, whatever you call it. 
jobs and, and, and population growth are the two critical factors for that. But we are operators and we tend to think about things on a five to 10 year uh, horizon. So we, we have some value add deals. Um, our, we're never kind of over the mindset, hey, this is an 18 month value add deal where typically it's you know, most value add, but kind of a three to five year horizon. Um, if you're merchant building something you typically want as an investor, I think you want a little bit higher return. There's a little bit more risk, uh, on a development deal, but it's a shorter, you know, two to three year window. You're going to build it and, and sell it. Um, the, the business plan for us on these, again, we, we think the product type is great. Uh, it is to, to build them. And so we've got a home building partner who's the last 30 years been building communities very much like this, uh, in and around central Texas to come in, build the homes. We're consulting with them on floor plans, unit mixes, finish types, you know, putting the right product out into the market and then operating it, at least leasing it up and then putting sort of stabilized financing on it and operating it for five years on average. I mean, the game plan is five years. We, we may go longer. We'll see. But it's so from an investor standpoint, you're getting some development uh, upside as we build the land is, is already done. All the infrastructure is done. Uh, but let's take about two years. We're going to be building the community, leasing it up. And then when we get to stabilization, we'll refinance it with, you know, agency, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae loan. Uh, at that point that returns some portion we've kind of bought half, maybe I think our pro forma says 60% of your capital comes back at that point. And then it's a, you know, just a cash flowing, asset with routine regular distributions you know we think after you get a return of capital it's probably a 15 percent coupon based on the cash you have left in the deal so it's kind of a unique hybrid from an investor standpoint you know, you're not you're not tying up let's say you're putting in two hundred thousand dollars you're not tying up two hundred thousand dollars for seven years because um, you're going to get should get half or a little bit more than half of that back after two and then you're getting a pretty nice uh, coupon until we you know, ultimately sell it. So that's kind of the, the, the business plan for us. That's very cool. So um, when you go out with the deal, the land is already purchased and, and, and all the entitlements are there? Or do, is that part the land of the, is, is the risk not, profile as well? Yeah, so we don't own the land um, on, on this deal. These first two deals are... Uh, but all the horizontal infrastructure is, is complete. So there's not any entitlement risk. There's not any development risk. So the utilities are there. You're buying a, a neighborhood ready to be developed. It works here because our partner on the home building side has done all that work. And, and frankly, we're, they were planning to go build a retail neighborhood and group that we've known for a long time. And over the last year, as we've gotten to just talk with them, they were noticing that they've got a, a history of building these infill boutique, you know, 150 to 250 home sites, and they're selling them to, you know, end buyers. Recently, a lot of these buyers were investors. So their in investors are coming in and buying two, three, four of these to, to rent them out, you know, sort of mom and pop style. They say, well, we'd like to, we believe in long-term economics. They're a local Central Texas group as well. We'd love to stick around and we, we're building great product, uh, good locations. We were talking some, it's like, hey, we, we'd love the product. We've got a townhome deal. We, we're trying to buy some of these BTR communities. 
crazy competitive, a lot of institutional dollars. Well, they're building, in essence, these these communities, the, the right product, two and three bedroom, attached garage, you know, et cetera. Rather than build them and sell them retail, you guys build them. Again, we'll consult floor plans, optimize it for a renter, and then we'll just operate it. And it kind of the, the math works for, for everybody. But as an investor, all that upfront risk is done. And so the day we close, we'll start vertical construction of the homes and we're kind of building them in tranches of 10 homes at a time. So they'll just, you know, plow through and build 156 of them uh, really efficiently. And then we, then we operate them just like a normal, uh, you know, multifamily deal. That's cool. So the builder already owns the land and has done all the entitlement work. So Correct. that's why, that's why that risk isn't there. Um, and I like the, the phased approach um, in, in the fact of building, because if, you know, I don't know if this is part of your plan or not, but, you know, if there is a big, you know, downturn, you could potentially pause, you know, if you're having trouble leasing it up, um, mm-hmm. you know, without having a bunch of empty completed, you know, units that um, have already been built. Is that, was that kind of part of the it is a, it's a nice process or just it, it's a nice piece of optionality, right? So it's one parcel with individually platted lots. There's a dormant HOA. So either because things are going incredibly well and these homes are selling for, you know, some stupid number, $700,000. And it makes sense to, to start selling these individually. We can go do that. Or as some sort of right. downside protection, if things aren't working, we could, you know, pivot and sell the homes individually. So, I think like a lot of things, having optionality always just is, is a good inherent thing uh, to have and, and you never know how things are going to go. So it's, it's a benefit for sure uh, if, you know, on, on both the, the, the upside and the downside and you could always, we've got that, we retain that ability. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. So I, I saw that when I was, so I've been in Dallas now for, I don't know, 14 years or 15 years. And, uh, but before that I was down in South Florida and I saw that happen, right? Where people were building apartments, then they converted them to condos mm-hmm. because you know it was they were getting great prices on the individual units, and then all of a sudden the market you know paused and and went south, and then those people that had changed over to condos were like trying to change back to apartments, and um, but th- that is optionality, the the ability to to pivot you know, based on where the market is. So talk about Austin a little bit more because Austin is kind of talked about as what, like the, the next, you know, cool LA. Um, a lot of tech workers moving there. Um, yep. It has been going gangbusters for the last number of years. Um, but also with that growth, when things turned a little bit, it was it was also one area in Texas that, started to to pause yeah um so last 20 years so the last 10 years uh i mean we've been in every publication fastest growing cities best places to live number one and you know this that and the other uh and i think a lot of that has been fueled by tech and so the big headlines you know the oracle and tesla and Samsung, Facebook. I mean, every, every fang company has a has a big presence here, and there was a lot of conversation and concern as as 
the big tech companies over the last year or so started looking at big layoffs. That it's been very muted here. I think in, in as far as the the impact felt like people here having lost their jobs or having moved uh, to you know, getting scooped up quickly by by other folks. I, I think what's interesting about Austin, if you look back over our history, the last two hundred years, Austin has doubled in size every twenty years, going back for the last two hundred. So. The, the, the level of the growth and the numbers obviously get bigger um, as we've grown and you know, the skyline downtown looks completely different than you know, I did 10 years ago. I mean, I, I am, I'm 43 and I can remember I grew up and I was born and raised in Austin uh, and I can remember in like 2003, the first new building got built downtown in, in my lifetime. Uh, and it was an amazing, it was, oh my gosh, look how cool that is. And fast forward to today and, and you can't even hardly see it. You know, it's just been engulfed by you know, new building after new building. And, and so that's been, I guess, to continue to double in size, you've got to have a lot of that type of, of growth. I think what's right. encouraging about Austin, if you look long term, and I think one of the reasons we think we've been uh, successful in attracting jobs and, and Dallas is in a similar boat and right there with Austin from a growth standpoint Obviously, we say a lot, it's, it's not as much about what we're doing right as much as it's what other places continue to seemingly do wrong. You know, so, so the Californias and the New Yorks and the Chicago's and kind of where people are coming here to, to flee, you know, somewhere else, lower taxes, better, maybe, I would say, I'd say better weather, not all, in not all cases, uh, but, you know, right. property taxes, friendlier business environment, whatever it might be. Austin specifically and uniquely, I think, is, is appealing. We you know, call it the blueberry and the tomato soup. So it's a, it's a liberal-leaning city uh, in a conservative red state. And so you get a, a healthy tension of they keep each other in balance. It doesn't swing one way too far you know, to the right or to the left. Uh, the city leans a little bit too far left. And the, you know, the state you know, comes in with the state troopers or threatens to do something and, and, and vice versa. Uh, so I think that that's made appeal of Austin as a lot. You're coming from, from out of state. It's, it's not a stereotypical, you know, far leaning really either way. Um, I think you look at the, the economy, you know, we've obviously UT is here, you know, that's just a constant supply of 50,000 students. You know, it's a highly ranked university, but you got a good flow of, of young people, good job workforce. You've got, um, Government, you know, state capitals here. Tech has been a big uh, industry for a long time. Semiconductors, you know, Samsung. This was Silicon Hills in kind of the early '90s. Um, it was always had that aspect, and I think what's really exciting now is bio is is the next arena, oh, right? and, and what we're we haven't had. And kind of if you look at like the Boston's and the you know Raleigh Durham Triangle area, the right. We, in the last three years, you know, the, the medical school opened. Uh, so UT Medical School, Teaching Hospital. And then just last month, uh, MD Anderson announced a huge expansion in partnerships. They're going to open a second hospital here uh, in Austin. And that's, that's driving a ton of excitement. There's a lot of new wet lab space that's coming alongside that that's just been announced. And that becomes sort of a, a whole other pillar of our economy um, that will allow us to continue to diversify, you know, not be at risk of kind of big boom bust cycles based on a one industry right. going, you know, too, too far, too fast. 
Um, so you look at, at those types of things, like we're excited about the continued growth and sort of the ability of us to, to double uh, in the next 20 years, you know, kind of repeat the, the cycle that we've seen. That's very cool because like, you know, it could have been, a, you know, the, there's a lot of optimism in what you're saying versus sure. kind of the, the doom and gloom that could be talked about in terms of like, oh man, it was riding so high and now it's just, you know, I don't, you know, I don't get it, you know, and, but every, everything kind of has to have a pause and a reset. And, but you know, when I, I have that discussion with people, I'm like, okay, well, not in six months for a year, but like when you think three years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, like where do people want to live? Like, yeah. I'm thinking they still want to live in Texas and Florida and the Carolinas and Arizona. Like they don't want to be in these, you know, highly congested, highly high cost areas. Um, so until, until these markets, you know, are on top of these other markets on the coast, you know, I think that people will, will continue to flood here. And that's why companies keep moving, you know, keep yeah. moving out of those states and into these other states. Yeah. Um, you said so it well, I, though, that's I, the I first time I heard about the bio. Well, then that's all really, I mean, the, the, the medical school is a, is a few years old, but, and, and that's kind of the flag that was planted. Hey, we now have a teaching hospital. It's the first new teaching hospital in the U S in, in a, in a major city. In, and I'm going to get it wrong, but 30 years, I mean, a, a long time. Um, the MD Anderson news was like last month. And that was, mm -hmm. If you're familiar at all with Austin, the old Irwin Center, uh, where they called the drum or the basketball team UT used to play, it's kind of on campus. They opened the new basketball arena. Um, that's been designated to be torn down for a number of years now, and, and that's where it's going to go. And so that that will be that's a really really big announcement. Um, and so that that's very recent. But I you know I think talking about the optimism that we have, and, and you mentioned it. If you're thinking about the right time frame. I think this is where I always have liked real estate as an investment that you can get pinched. You can get caught. We were talking about, Hey, if you got the wrong type of adjustable rate mortgage at, at the wrong time, you can get pinched. If you're looking at it over three years, five years, 10 years, you know, just historically real estate's always been a great investment. I don't think anything's going to change with that. And so if you've got the long-term fundamental drivers, which I, I believe we have, we can be optimistic and excited about, hey, we're going to continue to see this, this uh, growth. And look, it's, it's not all rainbows and unicorns and it's not without issues. And, you know, we have some of the traffic and affordability, you know, is, is becoming an increasingly hot topic uh, as right. you attract a bunch of high paying, you know, tech jobs and, and it becomes an attractive place to live. You know, the people that are here, can they afford to, to, to live here? And, and what do you do with that? So it's, it's not all perfect and, and we'll have, you know, many sort of ebbs and flows as, as we continue to move up and to the right. Um, but, you know, I do feel long-term it's, it's a great place to be and, and we'll continue to grow, which, which is what is key to our business. Well, I appreciate you sharing the, uh, the build a rent development deal. Cause I think that that is something that is, is a, a hot, you know, uh, item in, in real estate. Um, but you've also been involved with a lot of value add type deals. You know, what are some, uh, you know, maybe your top one or two learning lessons, you know, um, you know, everybody tries to read books and listen to podcasts and go to, you know, 
learn from other people, but you know, there's certain things that just happen when you, when you own property. Um, so w- what's kind of the top one or two learning lessons you've had? You know, we've, we've been fortunate. We've, we've got a great track record and we've had some really good wins and successes for our investors and been able to exit a number of deals. I think obviously there's lessons you learn along the way. Um, frankly, a lot of it is, I think, your underwriting and coming back to staying disciplined in that as you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, having it to it fiercely competitive and cap rates compressing. I think something that we've always held very core to, to the way we think about deals is, you know, if I've got a long enough time horizon, real estate's going to be good. We are intensely focused on location and we use the word conviction a lot. You know, I've got to be convicted about a deal. We don't just want to go buy a you know, average suburban garden deal in an average location with, you know, hope and pray in the market improves. Like I got to have conviction. It's because it's located next to this school that's really highly ranked and nothing else can be built around here. Or there's a, a supply story or, or a rezoning opportunity. There's, there's something unique about it. I think that that's always something, a high standard that we've had that, that there is a specific and unique reason like we're kind of hanging our hat on this is why this, we're, we're executing this deal. That's served us well because we've always had a point of conviction. I think the other piece is, is we were always, uh, maybe I just live in fear of, of not executing, but getting over leveraged. So we've always had a pretty hard and fast rule, a very hard and fast rule about not going more than 70% leverage. Um, and when times are, are good, it hurts us, right? The the returns, you can show a higher return if you're 80% leveraged and, and we'd have people say, hey, why don't you go get more? Like I could get a higher return. And it's, it's Everything's risk adjusted. You know, if you're showing somebody a 20 IRR versus a 15, like there's got to be a reason, you know, and, and, and um, there's a lot of things you can do in an underwriting to make it just your cap rate, your exit cap rate, your rent growth assumptions, you know, property taxes. I mean, there's, there's three or four big toggles, but your leverage point's a big one. As things have shifted, as interest rates have, have, have risen, not having gone max leverage has put us in a really good position to you know, sit here today with a, a portfolio of, of 4,000 units and, and not feel a ton of stress, you know, not have living in fear and hemorrhaging cash and saying, my gosh, I got to go work out a bunch of loans. Um, look, our, our values are, are, are down from a year ago as they are across the country. And most of that's interest rate oriented, but we're not staring here, you know, over the edge of a cliff across you know, every deal in the portfolio. Like I, We've got no hope because we got so over levered that we have no no equity left. So I think that's helps me sleep at night. You know, and maybe that's our best uh, reaffirmed lesson. And glad we stayed. You know. Yeah. Well, I, hey, I applaud you because it 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 wasn't easy, right? There were there were a couple of years where you know the easy money was there, the you know the high leverage was there, um, the low rate, um, you know, floating rate loans. And it, it's hard as a real estate guy to, you know, keep losing deals, you know, and, and stay disciplined. Um, but like now you're sleeping well when there's some other people may not be right. Um, yeah. so, so that's a good thing. Um, staying disciplined, having, you know, a buying criteria and staying disciplined to that, you know, uh, location and, and how you leverage it and, and what your business plan is, is, is key. 
Um, so that, that's fantastic that you're you know, in that position. Lo- Location-wise and, and market-wise, having a couple of years ago, I made the decision, we're not going to leave Central Texas. You know, we're going to stay focused here. It's, it's home. We know it best. You know, I'm never going to know even Dallas, like I know, you know, Austin, San Antonio. I'm never going to know Nashville. And, and if we if we had made the decision to go out and, and you know, expand across the Sun Belt and try to build the 20,000 unit portfolio, you're, you're inviting risk. And just, you know, if you're the, if you're, what they say, if you're sitting at the poker table and you don't know who the mark is, you're the mark, you know, like you, you, you're on the wrong side of the corner, but you don't know it. You think hey, that's the right area, but you don't realize you want to be on the Northwest corner, not the Southeast. We know that here. Um, we've right. also got the ability to be in our assets every day. If need be, everything is, is right here. We can see it. So there, there's a familiarity. And I think the decision to stay local and in some ways stay small and boutique has served us because to your point about how you're losing deals left and right, it's frustrating, but we didn't have an inherent need to feed the beast, you know, do a deal to generate a fee because right. I got a payroll and you know, we have six, six employees. Uh, it's, it's a lean operation. And I think some of that has been very much by design. I don't want to manage a bunch of people and I don't like the whole corporate just building a machine for the sake of building it, but yeah. being focused in a backyard that, you know, and I also admit like, Hey, we're the born in the right place at the right time on the right vintage. And, you know, woke up on third base said I hit a triple. I just happened to be born in Austin at the right, you know, when it was a sleepy little college town and, sure. and, um, but hey, we're going to ride the wave and, and, and take advantage of our relationships. You still had to take action so. and get in the game. Sure. And like when you were talking about uh, the UT basketball stadium, where, where the um, you know the, the healthcare companies coming in. Yeah. Um, you know, I went I went to a game there, but I couldn't tell you like what. And I remember it was old. It was an old you know complex, mm-hmm. um, but. I could not tell you what was around it and whether it was a good area or not, but because you've lived there forever and you, you know, the ins and outs of that market, you know, I don't. Right. And, and there's a value to having that knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. They, what is it? Skate, skate so, to where the puck is going. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Like right. You, right. you got to know exactly. what's Gret- happening Gretzky, and who's going right? where. Yeah. So you talked about six employees. Um, you know, say you are a syndicator and you're, you know, you've got one or two deals under your belt, three deals, but you want to scale, you know, how do you decide, you know, who are your first employees and how to grow it best? I think it's probably different for, for each person, right? And, and you look at what are your strengths and weaknesses? What are your you know interests? And, and you realize, figure out what is it that you're not the best app, you know, what's the first thing that you should, you should offload. Um, you know, for, for me, it was underwriting and it was, Hey, we've now got a big enough portfolio that the, you know, keeping up with the acquisitions, making sure we're seeing every deal that we're staying in front of the brokers and asset managing and making sure that we're staying on top of the business plan and the day-to-day that of, of just, that's a lot, right? I mean, multi, as you know, is, is day-to-day hand-to-hand yeah. combat. Like you got to stay on top of that. And then the investor relations and capital piece is, is also, you know, ever green and, and constant. Uh, but for me, it was, it was the underwriting, you know, just being not an Excel wizard, didn't, don't enjoy it 
not efficient at it. And so it was like, Hey, when it came time to make the, the, the first hire, it was a, an acquisitions analyst. And, um, then we, you know, kind of repeated the process as we were ready to, for the, all right, stretched again, too thin, need to make another hire. It was asset management stretched again, too thin. It was, you know, internal control or finance and, uh, you know, investor relations. Um, so kind of adding to it when you, a, have the ability and resources to do that. But, you know, other people, they might say, you know, I, I hate investor relations. I'm no good at it. I can't communicate. Great. Like that's right. maybe you start there. So that's, that's the first person. I know. I love that you, you started with that. It could be different for different folks and that you look at your strengths and weaknesses and um, you know, that's huge. Now what, in terms of like, you talked about fear before, what, what's your take on your investor base you know, my experience with my investors and also talking to other syndicators is that people are more nervous today to to invest, to get into deals. So what's what's the take with your side? No, I, th- I think every investor is unique, right? I mean, on the other end of that phone is a story and, and someone who's got a different set of circumstances, a different set of values, beliefs, risk appetite. I mean... The last thing that we hired was a, a investor relations person because I frankly enjoy it. Uh, and I continue to write a lot of most of our updates and uh, I like talking to people. I like getting on the phone and it's, it's interesting to me, you know, when you get into this business and you start raising money and you can, you can be on a call with someone for the very first time and they'll be telling you things about their financial situation and their financial goals and things that they probably have never told their very best friend. Right. But right. because you're talking about a, a real estate investment, they're walking you through what they're, hey, are you wanting cash flow and, and are you wanting, you know, a, a multiple? You know, you want to take big swings and try to double your money in two years or, you know, a slow and steady deal like it. So it's always going to be unique. Um, and so I think that's whether times are good or bad. Uh, it's, you know, we try to, understand and in sort of some ways segment out, Hey, here are the folks that are interested in a longer term deal versus a shorter term or, you know, higher risk versus lower risk. I think obviously with interest rates rising, with just seeming constant conversations of, you know, in the news and whatnot about the state of the economy and, and war in Russia and all these things that there's a little bit more, some hesitation, um, you know, but I think I've, probably not in totally equal numbers, but a lot of conversations with folks that are on, let's take the context of our BTR deal that we've just kind of finished up raising capital, had a lot of conversations there. People are really excited about the ability to go, you know, develop something and then own it for a long period of time and kind of, Hey, I get to do a little bit of, of the development, put some of that money at play here and then get it back. But I don't know what the next two years are going to look like in the stock market. So I'd actually prefer to go put it into a, right. a real asset. Now, the next investor might say, you got to be crazy. I would never put money into a development right now. So a little bit like a snowflake. I mean, everybody's got their unique perspective. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a great way to put it. A great way to put it because it's true. Everybody has different goals and everybody has different uses for the, for the money as well. I mean, um, you know, even if you have a nice return, right? Some when you're selling a property, you you send that money back, and some some people are like, "Look, man, when, when's your next deal? I want to roll it into the next deal." And other people are like, "Man, I got my kids going off to college, and I got to start. You know, 100%. I got to use that for 
you know, this for that. And so there's, there's unique times, you know, and unique uses for the money for, for every investor. Um, so, hey, what's kind of the next big stretch goal? You, you guys have never really, it doesn't sound like you have a, a unit count or, a, you know, you're just looking for good deals in, in your markets is what it sounds like. Um, but, you know, when you guys sit internally, do you have a big stretch goal? Honestly, no. Um, you know, drives uh, my, my business coach a little bit wild, but I guess we've always operated in the mentality and, and say where, where we want, we want the ability to be able to execute real estate, residential real estate deals that, that we think are interesting. Um, that could mean if you look at our portfolio now, we've got 40% of it is value add deals, you know, 80s to early 2000s. We've got four deals that are, you know, new construction, like built in 2019 or, or more or recently, like 2022 deals that we will own those for a long period of time. You know, we're doing these, these BTR uh, development deal with the hopes that that's a, a platform and we'll be able to repeat that structure, you know, in, in a, a lot of different sites. We are, we haven't talked about partnering with a, on a ground up uh, apartment deal, a 313 unit apartment in San Marcos, you know, right in that connective tissue between Austin and, and San Antonio. Right. San Same Antonio. business plan. We're, we're helping consult for the development, but we will be the lease up and the operations piece and our partner there wants to go long. So that's kind of what we're focused on. You know, I think it's staying from, from a company budget standpoint, staying conservative not getting out over our skis where we've got to force to make bad decision to generate a fee, but truly never, never had a, Hey, I want to have so much AUM or so many units or, you know, number of doors. Like it just, I don't think it's a bad goal, but I think the risk is you start making decisions. My gosh, it's, you know, it's, it's October 1st and I still got to get two deals done this year to meet my goal. I don't think right. you can approach, you know, an investment like that. Like at the end of the day, we are, we are, trying to make good investments and present good opportunities to, to our investors. And if you're stretching and reaching to generate a fee or scratch your ego or reach your goal or whatever it is, that, that's how you can get in trouble. So we kind of take that mindset of look in the ability to execute a deal, you got to have the ability to fundraise. So I got it. We got to have the capital you know, behind us and the, the investor relations piece. We got to have the team to support asset, manage, oversee, uh, construction manage if it, if it's in that realm if if it's a redevelopment play which we're doing uh, a number of deals where we have sort of a an existing apartment but we're doing a, a rezone you know covered land play if you will got to have the ability to execute that so a lot of tentacles that can come around from there and it requires us to build a a, a team that's kind of multifaceted. But it's always in the ability of if we see something interesting, want the ability to execute on it and not have to say, oh, I wish we could do that deal, but we don't have this expertise or this can't raise that much money or whatever it is. Fantastic. Well, hey, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, probably through, through the website or you can send me an email, but you know, we're Wildhorn Capital is the company. Our website is wildhorncap.com. Um, and you can certainly go on there and read through all of our, our info and reach out, set up some time to chat. Uh, I'm just Andrew at Wildhorn Cap uh, as well via email. And you know, we've got, Monet does a great job on, on social media. I think we try to put out you know, educational, good content on 
either investing in real estate and kind of specific to, to central Texas, but the website's probably the hub of all of that activity. Awesome. Awesome. Andrew, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you sharing about the Austin market. You know, build the rent is a hot topic and I appreciate you sharing what you guys are doing there. I uh, wish you guys much success and listeners. I hope that you enjoyed that one until next week. Signing off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. <laughs>